0: Romans chapter 5 verses 1 to 5, we're talking today about if God's grace is enough and asking each of us if his grace is enough for us, where we are and what we're doing. You heard them, uh, we're going to read this first. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace <clears throat> in which we stand. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given to us. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your spirit. I thank you for your son. Help us now, Father. Guide us in this conversation as we want to hear more from you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So you saw in the interview on the video with the Reference made to the genocide in 1994. And uh, we were there during the week of commemoration, and it really impacts them when we're there for that, and hearing their stories. And uh, it's not uncommon to to be introduced to somebody in Rwanda and have them say to you they are the only surviving member of their family. They have no aunts, uncles, cousins, anything. They're the only surviving member of the family. And then we come together as a church family, and we know that now we're family as a church. This is where we have family, and it means something considerably different for many of these people than it does for us. Lynn and I have been invited in by these people and they they call us theirs. They say we're here on vacation now to when we go back. (laughs) And uh, that's a blessing. We've been greatly blessed by having many of you come to visit us. Myron and Shirley were there not too long ago. and It's just a huge blessing. Um, We have Kenyanawanda names that they have given us. Um, they asked us regularly, what do we call you? And we says, why do you ask us what you call us? The parents don't ask the children, what is your name? You tell the children. So if we should have a Kenyan Wanda name and don't have one, it's because you, the parents, have failed us and have not done your job, so you need to give us a name. <clears throat> so they repented and uh, put their heads together and gave us our Kenya Rwanda names, which we love very, very much. Uh, the name they gave me was Biranjiro. And uh, before we went to Rwanda, the Holy Spirit showed me that how He works in us and through us is that the Holy Spirit is in us. And then when you walk into a room or into a situation, you bring the Holy Spirit with you. And He showed me that That when I walked in the room, he said, hope is going to walk in the room. That just by walking into the room, people would feel hope. People that were hopeless and desperate would feel hope when I walked into the room. After about three and a half years of working with them, the name Birinjiru means hope. So my name is David Hope Kaler. Uh, I like it very much. Lynn's name uh, is Morakateteh. And Morikateti uh, is Lynn, If you want to know what that name means, they've, they've chosen well in the name Lynn, for Lynn. Lin Morikateti just means she can do whatever she wants and leave her alone. Uh, don't bug her. Don't you know? Don't upset her. Just bless her and uh, and and leave her alone. So there's times when we're going someplace or doing something, and Lynn, Lynn's dragging behind or doing something else, and people say, well, where's Lynn? And she's, oh, more katete. <laughs> and everybody laughs and understands that that's just how it is. <laughs> so it's a good name. It fits her well, and, uh, and we like it very much. <clears throat> we were uh, on the side of a mountain. With the Viator, and uh, as we drove there during the genocide memorial week, we were going to exhume, dig out 22 bodies of people who had been buried in a mass grave. And these were his family members, and this was his community. And as we drove there, he said, We asked him, How many of your family members did you lose? And he said, In a period of 10 days, 100 of his family members. And uh, so we were there. Some of the people digging up the bodies had killed them. And after, Vietor says, after they finished exhuming them, if I would say a few words to the village, which I was privileged to do. You can't go to Bible school or seminary to train for that stuff. You'd better be intimate with the Lord so He can use you and move through you it's just too precious a time so now we were there for we missed Easter because we stayed there for their official genocide memorial weekend they had an evening vigil where they just by accident discovered 33 children that had all been killed together a class that had been killed and so we were there for the evening vigil Simeon was with us and sat around the fire and lit candles and told stories and person after person would say, I remember, I remember my family. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left. And uh, God has brought us there to a people that, are, that have been broken and uh, to a church that has been broken. <clears throat> And I often wondered how did that happen? How did genocide happen in 1994? And uh, in 1994, Rwanda was the most Christian nation on the planet, with about 90% Christian. And so I says, how how does how can't 90% stop the 10% from killing? Because I naturally assumed that the Christians hadn't done the killing, but I was actually wrong in that and uh, the, the sermon today is about is God's grace enough and really we're asking the question this morning of <clears throat> is Jesus real to you and me that's, that's the question or is he just not that not everything that God wants him to be and how does that happen Um, there's a book that they asked me to write for them to help them understand the Bible, The Christian Life of God's Word. There's a chapter in here on ethics about what difference does it make that you're a Christian or that I'm a Christian. And it says, Christian ethics is about the truth of Jesus Christ washing our minds and penetrating our hearts to the effect that everything we say and do is about God's kingdom coming to earth And His will being done. Everything we say and do is about God's kingdom coming. I've lived most of my life for myself, centered on myself, focused on myself, prayed to Jesus about my own comfort and convenience and joy and pleasure. But as far as praying, Your kingdom come, Your will be done, not so much. Our actions reveal what we really believe. The kingdom ruling our hearts is revealed in our actions. Each country has in their history some event that demonstrates gross injustices either brought on by Christians or tolerated by Christians. Canada's no different. We have First Nations peoples and stories there. Just so you know, at that leadership training, we commissioned them, and I, I say to the leaders, I says, you know something, we need you guys to come as missionaries to the First Nations in Canada. They won't listen to me, because I'm part of the colonizers. But they'll listen to you guys, because you know what it's like. And so I'm calling them, saying, why don't we go together to the First Nations people of Canada, Rwandese and white guys together, Huh? What do you say, folks? Are you in? Martin, are you in? I like it. <clears throat> in most cre- cases, the Christians try to find non-Christian people to blame for the atrocities. where we deny that they happened. People say the Holocaust didn't happen. People say genocide didn't happen. And we deny things. We are reminded of what happened in the spring of 1994. Now I quote in here an author from Rwanda who wrote a book called Rwanda, The Mirror to the Christian Church. If Christians in Rwanda had been slaughtered by non-Christians, it would have been tragic, but perhaps easier to comprehend. However, Christians killed other Christians. Often in the same churches where they had worshipped together, Christianity seemed little more than an add-on, an inconsequential relish that did not radically affect people's so-called natural identities, nor the goals or purposes they pursued. Purposes and goals were dictated to Christians and non-Christians alike by radio personalities and political figures. The entertainment world tells Christians how to behave, and we swallow it. When we look at Rwanda as a mirror to the church, it helps us realize what little consequence the biblical story has on the way Christians live their lives in the West. We have to live with our feet on the ground, devoted to our calling to serve God in this place. And if Jesus isn't real to you and me, then most of my life he hasn't been Lord, he hasn't been that and it changes when we acknowledge him as that the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans and Corinthians and other letters and epistles the Apostle Paul before he met Jesus was a bad man but he thought he was a good man he was very educated uh, educated in the law educated in scripture he was very connected with the highest people in government and with the highest people in the church and when Jesus came as the Messiah um, a lot of people didn't like him he came from the wrong community bad part of town and rejected him including Paul So when Christ was crucified and rose again, then they said, now this is really, really bad because they're going to spread the lie that he rose again when he had risen again. So they made a lie that said he actually didn't die. He wasn't crucified and he didn't rise again and was just a, a story. And so right after Christ rose again, they... Put together a story that th- this wasn't real. And there's still people today who believe that, that it wasn't real. Genocide's no different. There's people who try to say it didn't happen, it's not real. Holocaust didn't happen, it's not real. It's just too terrible. We don't want to face it. <clears throat> so, Saul was the, the main guy who was organizing the hunting and killing of Christians. And, and he would go to the governments and to the churches and get letters of and lists of names of people. And he tells us that in Scripture. He would go from home to home dragging people out of the houses and killing them. That's what he did. So he knows what it's like to be totally depraved. To be educated and arist- 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 aristocratical. Sure. Is that a good word? We just invented it, Right? To be that up there guy, but to be totally wrong. But when you're deceived, you see you're convinced you're right when you're wrong. That's the part about being deceived. And we get deceived in different ways. And ultimately, when we're deceived and not believing Jesus Christ for who he is, we end up doing bad things. So Saul went around and hunted and, and killed, and then he met Jesus. And it changed him completely. It didn't modify him. It changed him. You know, Scripture says it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And they really mean needle, like a knitting needle or or a sewing needle. So can a camel go through the eye of a needle? Is it possible? Is it possible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? Sure it is. It's just not a camel anymore. It's just not a camel anymore. That's how you and I get to heaven. Jesus isn't interested in modifying us a little bit. No, 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 no. He just completely, absolutely changed everything. Everything. The camel's not a camel anymore, but he's gone through the eye of a needle. That's what he says about us. He didn't come to improve our life, little renovation. No, 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 no. We have to change absolutely and completely. We have to die to self, to be raised again. So Paul in in. Loves to to start his letters by saying, Paul the Apostle, called by Christ. And he says at one point that, that God called him from his mother's womb to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. I often wonder about that. God called him from his mother's womb to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and he had this huge section in there where he's hunting and killing Christians. I don't understand a lot of things. I don't understand that, but I take it as God's word. And it gives me hope to pray for people in situations. <clears throat> but what Paul says that, in verse 5, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean, having been justified by faith? It's a judicial statement. It's a judge who declares that, that. We're just. And here's Paul who met Jesus on the Damascus road, and Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And Paul goes, "Uh uh-oh. I have a problem. I've been denying Christ's existence, and now he's asking me, why are you persecuting me? And the word justified is a beautiful picture because it means it's the, the view from the judge down to the accused one, but it's also a recognition of the accused one's view to the judge. So here's God, the judge, Jesus Christ who judges us, our God who, who's going to judge us in Christ, who looks at us and says, you're sinners, I can't be with you, you're, you're violated. And so we feel that, and we say, we, got, "We somehow we want to make things right, how can we make things right? So we try all kinds of different things. We do behavior modification, when I was younger, I quit smoking. You see, that will make God happy with me if I quit smoking. We do silly things thinking God's going to be really pleased and impressed with us. And the problem we have is that we don't have access to God. It's been access denied because of sin. And so we, want, we, need, to, we need to get to be with God and God wants us to be with Him. So we need a mediator. When Greg and I are here together and... Greg and I have a dispute, and we just can't reconcile and can't resolve things. No matter how hard we try, we need a mediator. What do you think? Should we get a mediator? Yes, we should. All right. Any ideas? I have one. Huh. Okay. I have one, too. So I know she's really good at mediating, mm-hmm. and uh, so she'll be our mediator. Well, I could get one. You don't like this one? That's uh, probably one sided. <laughs> ah so. <laughs> so who do you think you should get? That one there. Oh ah. she's a good mediator. <laughs> yeah. She's excited to do it. <laughs> <I know. laughs> so you can see the problem we have here in our mediation is that my mediator is strongly on my side and Greg's mediator strongly on his side. Don't forget that. <laughs> so that doesn't work. So mediator's out. That doesn't work. We need a mediator that we can both accept and we can both approve of. That's the problem. So what do you think? I have a thought. Yeah, what's your thought? We should choose that guy over that there. guy. okay. <laughs> So I think that's good. I think he's uh, mm-hmm. got both our best in- interests in mind. <laughs> <Not my> interest. <laughs> <laughs> and his best interest in mind. You see, that's, that's very apropos. And uh, so he's going to mediate on our behalf. You see, because he represents Jesus Christ. And God says, I will send Jesus as the mediator. God says, I choose Jesus. And God approves of Jesus as our mediator and then sends Jesus down to live with us as people so that we can get to know him and say, oh, he's going to be our mediator. He's, he's, he died for us. And the one who dies for us can speak for us, can mediate for us. So in Jesus Christ, we have the mediator who God has chosen and accepted And we have the opportunity of accepting. Thank you. The question is, have we accepted Him? If we reject Jesus as our mediator, we reject God. And there is no other mediator. We may choose other ones. We say, look what I'm doing. Or look... uh, I'm, I'm doing this, or what about this, or what about that. We can logic and reason forever. And God says, I have a mediator. And Jesus right now is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, still mediating on our behalf. And we have access to the Father through the mediator that is Jesus Christ. And if we're busy in many ways, but we're not there with Christ... We're hooped. Now you saw in the child dedication a family up here, and the family said that the children wanted to have wholesome, healthy relationships. See, not everybody that comes and says they're Christians are Christians. Not everybody that says Jesus is Lord has Jesus as Lord. Our actions reveal what we believe. And we need to be wise. And so Paul says, therefore, having been justified by faith, Paul is saying that Jesus Christ, the one he persecuted, is in him we are just. And so what is our part? By faith, what does it mean? It simply means that we need to say, I accept Jesus as my mediator i accept him as my savior then we need to do one other thing we need to say thank you that's it nothing else to do it's all been done and if we try to add to that if we try to say well we're going to we have to do this we have to do that to gain favor or whatever the case might be we're we're taking away from christ and and It doesn't work. You can't pay for something that's already paid for. Christ paid for our sins. So what Paul is saying, he's just thrilled. He says, therefore having been justified by faith. So here's Paul, the persecutor of the church, the persecutor of Christ, who says, I am made right with God. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And now that I'm made right with God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, he says. Our Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying, I have peace with God because the Lord, that means Jesus owns me. Owns me completely. Does Jesus own you? Completely? Every thought, every action. He says, when you go and you say, I'm going to go here and I'm going to make deals over here. I'm going to go over there. Next week I'm going to do that. He says, you need to say, Lord willing, you need to realize that you can't do anything. I'm the most proudest, arrogant man I know. And one day standing in front of the mirror, gazing at my resplendent beauty... I was looking in the mirror and and shaving, and in the, in the middle of that, just looking in the mirror and shaving, God did something. He just asked me how how great I was, and he poked, poked me in the back, and I collapsed on the floor. I couldn't even crawl out of the bathroom. So you think you can do stuff? You think you're really so special? You can't even crawl out of the bathroom. And Paul thought he could do stuff. And when he came face to face with Christ, he realized he couldn't. But Christ had redeemed him. See, the Lord gave his life for us, bought us, paid for us. We are his. We got no business Not recognizing that. So Paul says, Lord, Jesus, Jesus is referring to the son of Mary, born in Bethlehem of Judea, raised in Nazareth. That one, and people rejected him. He's from the wrong part of town, didn't look right, didn't look pretty, came from the wrong clan. Rejected, rejected, rejected. And Paul says, that's the one, that very one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ refers to the Messiah the Redeemer of the human race. And so Paul is saying, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here we are in anxiety, in a world of chaos and strife, and God says, in Jesus Christ, you open the door, and you come in, and you're in peace. Then he says, don't forget, you come into the door through Jesus Christ in peace, now you live in that peace. You live in the grace. You live in the reality of Jesus Christ. You already are at peace. You already are redeemed. Now you live there. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. We have been introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ. Merely introduced. But God wants us to know Him. Not just be introduced to him. So you've been introduced to Simeon, and many of you say to him, Oh, Simeon. And he says, Oh, how do you know me? And so you've been introduced to Simeon. That's good. So, um, Darian, do you know Simeon? You've met him. You see? Do you know him? Not yet. Very good. Do you know Jesus? Or have you just met him? Simeon has been our translator now for four years. And we've explained snow in Rwanda to many people. Was that? Do you know snow? And so Simeon is translated and explained to people so that they would understand snow. And uh, he would explain it again and again. And a few days ago, he was in our home, and he was outside. And he says, "What is this? Where's this? Where's it coming from? What is this? This is amazing. Well, what? What? What is this? Snow. What's that? What is it? This is snow." Oh, I had no idea. I had no idea. So we made a snowman, and I introduced him to snowballs. (laughs) Now he knows snow. And he's going to go back to Rwanda and explain to people what snow is. Do you think they'll know? They will not know. Not until you have experienced it do you know snow. And Paul says we've been introduced to the grace of God. Do you know the grace of God? Well, you've been introduced. So how do we get to know God's grace? How do we we need to experience it. How do you experience God's grace? Well, what he says here, we have, been introdu- we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace. We just said thank you, so there we are introduced. This grace in which we stand. So now we stand in the grace and faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we exalt in hope of the glory of God. So what Paul is saying is God is great. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. This is fantastic that God would redeem me. He would call me. He says we brag about it. We brag about the glory of God. Isn't it amazing what God is doing? Paul would say, do you see what God has done in me? Do you see what God is doing through me? You see this person who I've been doing this killing and all this stuff, but you see who I am now? Isn't God great? Isn't God amazing? We boasted God. In the glory of God. He says, so not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Huh? We exalt in our tribulations? Why, why would we do that? You see, when we understand the Lord Jesus Christ, the camel has to go through the eye of a needle. You see? It just doesn't look like a camel anymore, because it's not. And we go through tribulations, and Paul is saying that Christ, when he was in the Garden of Eden, not in the Garden of Eden, he wasn't, no, no. Garden of Gethsemane. You see, the advantage of Simeon translating is that he would have caught that <laughs> and would have not have said the Garden of Eden. He would have said the Garden of, and then you looked at me, then oh, no, Gethsemane, Kiss <laughs> me. Don't have the buffer now. Jesus Christ in the garden of Gethsemane, knowing the death he is going to face, he prayed and he says, if at all possible, can you remove this cup from me? And then he said, but not my will, but yours be done. And his father said, you need to go through this. Our father chooses to send us through stuff. so we can understand the garden when Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And so Paul says, we exalted our tribulations. Paul was persecuted because now he was promoting Jesus Christ and saying he's the Messiah. Three times he was beaten with 40 lashes or 39 Because 40 would have been inhumane, so only 39 lashes. And he says, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He was stoned and left for dead. Shipwrecked. Lived in in prison. Wrote many of the letters from prison. But you don't hear him complaining. Ever. What he keeps saying is, isn't this incredibly fantastic that God has redeemed me? the wretched man that I am, and that God would choose to trust me enough to send me through the fire. He trusts me enough to send me through the fire because in the middle of the fire I get to say, the Lord is good. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So he says, and not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. Why? Because we know that tribulations will bring about perseverance. We were in the Rango, Myron and Shirley were with us there, and God allowed a little window to open so they could just see some of the difficulties we sometimes go through. We're in a metal building, tin roof, no insulation, or no nothing, just a tin roof and open, open beams and and cement walls all around and a cement floor, <clears throat> so the sound kind of echoes and reverberates. Glass windows, single pane windows. That's loud, right? <laughs> Simeon is translating, and sometimes we had chickens wandering in and out, and they chased the chickens out, and that's okay too. So there we are in, in the middle of the teaching and and it's just not going well. We could feel it and we knew it, it just it wasn't connecting. It was like there's a wall between us and everybody, and anything we were saying, it just wasn't wasn't happening. So we're plodding along and plodding along, and then all of a sudden there's a wind that blows and the trees are noisy and and then there's crows that come on the tin roof and with their claws they land on the top and slide to the bottom. and then they peck on the roof. <coughs> and there's birds that fly in and sit on the rafters and put their deposit, just miss Simeon by a hair. I stopped and prayed for a bit, and as we ended, we sat down, we had we were attacked by hornets. And Lynn, Lynn got stung, first time she's ever been stung. An attack from Hornet. So they just dive-bombed in. (laughs) Myron and Shirley ran out of the building and we ran out. The enemy wasn't happy. We're glad that the Lord opened the window a bit so they could just see some of the stuff that sometimes goes on. Paul says, I consider it pure joy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. David's walking along and somebody's throwing dirt on him, dirt on him, and his mighty warriors say, let me go deal with him. And he says, no, 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 leave him alone. He said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I think maybe God has sent him here to throw dirt on me so that I'll be gracious to him. And by me being gracious to him, I'm going to get an increased anointing from the Lord. So bring it. <laughs> it's a different way of living, isn't it? I like it. Tribulations and trials. Pure joy. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Why? Because we know that tribulations will bring about perseverance. You'll be able to hang in there. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. You need to know something, Calvary Chapel. You go through a lot of junk because we're in Rwanda. You need to know that. Every time before we go, all hell breaks loose. Here or in Rwanda. You ask anybody who's come there to be with us, any one of them, they will tell you stories of junk you go through. God has called us as a people he I've called you and I want to use you to impact a region in Africa. Not Dave and Lynn, us as a family. And there's a price to pay. So if you're going through it, you're in the thick of it, it doesn't surprise me. And Paul says, I want you to rejoice. Consider it pure joy. A few years ago, Ron McLean was sitting right here where Sheldon is sitting. And we'd had one of our discussions where he was maybe feeling like he was being attacked. I don't know why he would ever feel that, but maybe he was feeling that from me. Because I wanted something from him. And he says, Dave, what do you want? And I says, I want to know that we're in this together. I want to know that when I get beat up, that you're getting beat up. I want to look around me and see brothers and sisters with their armor totally battered and bashed in. And I want them to look at me and say, don't give up. We're in this together. We may be in Rwanda, but so are you. We go through difficulties, so do you. The question is, are we going to worship the Lord? Does Jesus own us? Or do we look to Jesus for our comfort and convenience? That's the question. and hope does not disappoint because the love of god has been poured out within our hearts through the holy spirit who is given to us as a deposit john 16:33 jesus says these things i have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace in the world you have tribulation but take courage i have overcome the world not you may have difficulty. No, Not, oh, things might go a little tough for you sometimes. No, 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 no. He tells us, when you're a child of God, expect bad things to happen. The attack to come. When the disciples crossed the water with Jesus, and the, Jesus was in the boat with the disciples, and a storm came up. You have to understand that If Jesus is in your boat, you're going to get a storm. You're going to. But then when the storm comes, don't forget, Jesus is in the boat. Wake him up. Cry out to him. Wake him up. James says, consider it joy when you encounter various trials. Knowing that you're testing of your faith, will produce endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. We sing the song, The joy of the Lord is my strength, is my strength, is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength, is my strength, is my strength. Yes? Great grace, great grace, great grace, great grace. What we're saying. It's that when we live in the Lord Jesus Christ, we come difficulties and persecutions. We rejoice. The joy of the Lord is our strength. The joy of our Lord is our strength, and it's a manifestation of grace. And we get to know Jesus, not because of something we read in a book. In Rwanda, they have a word for snow. It's called hail. I says, hail is not snow. Oh, yes, it is. It says right here in our Rwanda Bible, King Rwanda Bible, that, that's hail. I says, no, no, you don't understand. And now Simeon understands. Snow is not hail at all. It doesn't hurt. It just. Do you know Jesus? In your difficult times, do you cry out to him?